Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to this week's episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture this week comes from the MTV, the Miss Tyler version, which is the Christian Standard Bible, modified a bit to make it easier for kids to understand the content and the context. So last week we met the very awesome and very polite King of Salem, Melchizedek. He came out of the city after Abram's mighty victory over the four kings and offered him bread and wine and blessed him because Melchizedek was a priest who served the same God that Abram served. That's our God too. Abram liked him so much that he gave him a tithe. That's one out of every ten things. Of all the stuff that he'd taken back from those four kings as they ran them out of the country. Melchizedek had his city and he hadn't been attacked, but he still treated Abram like a VIP, a very important person. Melchizedek gave Abram a lot of honor and respect in front of all of Abram's friends. That made Abram look really good, and in those days, that was very important. With Melchizedek for a friend, Abram's name was getting more and more famous. After all, he saved all those kings and all their people, and so everyone should be very grateful and singing songs about how great Abram and his God are. Or at least you would think so. But Abram hasn't met the rude dude from Sodom yet. The skunk who ran from the battle and hid in the sticky asphalt pits while his people got hauled off to be sold as slaves. He probably ought to just sneak off and live in a cave alone for the rest of his life, but he won't. Let's look at Genesis, the rest of Genesis 14. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me all the people, but you can keep all the animals and loot. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I absolutely promise the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or the strap of a stinky sandal or anything else that belongs to you. So you can't ever say, Abram is only rich because I gave him everything I have. I'm not going to take anything except what the servants ate while they were rescuing everyone. But as for the men who came with me, Aner, Eskol, and Mamre, they can decide what they want to do with their own shares. First of all, I want you to notice what he didn't do. Melchizedek was grateful and generous to Abram. He didn't even have to come out of his city while Abram went by, but Melchizedek was classy. I guess that's why his name means King of Righteousness. And since he is the King of Salem, which means peace, he is also the King of Peace. Remember all the awful, silly nicknames that the Bible gave the five kings and how the King of Sodom's name was Barah, which means evil? Well, after Melchizedek acted like the perfect gentleman and host, little king evil sticky britches, because remember he was in the asphalt pits, walks right up to Abram, bold as you please, and starts telling Abram what to do. 
you know, as if he's still a king. And he even manages to do it in a way that sounds like he thinks he's being generous. You know, like all the stuff actually belongs to him. Or like, maybe he thought he was next in the tithe line. I figure he said something like, Yeah, all the people, they're mine. And you will give them to me pronto. I don't care about anything else, their belongings, their animals, nothing. You can take all that away with you as a display of my generosity because I am just that awesome. Or maybe, let me take these people off your hands and you can accept all the loot as a gift so you won't have the hassle of dealing with them. Okay, so the Bible doesn't really say that, but we're playing the what-if game because it makes it funnier. But King Sticky Britches doesn't have much of an army anymore, and his clothes are probably smudged with the gooey, black, sticky asphalt. But why does he even care about the people when he could have all their stuff? That surprises a lot of people, but the answer's pretty simple. Being a king isn't about having a lot of money. It's about having a lot of power, and without people to rule over, you aren't a king. Being able to boss everyone around and make them work in the asphalt pits means that he'll get his own money back even if the people are starving. I don't think he wants the people back so they can all go home to Sodom and sing Kumbaya and be grateful to return to their homes because they're such a big happy family. I think he wants them for slave labor so he can have everything he lost back again. And I've been wondering. He asked for all the people. Maybe he isn't just asking for the people who lived in Sodom, but everyone else too. After all, the four kings would have taken only the people they could get a good amount of money for. Everyone else, they would have just left them behind in the cities. If King Sticky Britches gets all the young, strong people, he will quickly become the most powerful king on the plains. It may not be a big kingdom, but it would be his. There seems to be a lot more than meets the eye, but one thing for sure, we just don't get any sort of idea that the people would be in good hands with the king of Sodom either. But our man Abram, he's not fooled for one second. King Sticky Britches is trying to distract and tempt Abram with stuff. But Abram already has a ton of stuff that he got from lying to Pharaoh when he didn't trust God to protect him. He had so much stuff that he had to send his nephew Lot away. And it is really hard, you know, not to be tempted by stuff, stuff, and more stuff. Even something as small as a piece of candy, unless it's a Jolly Rancher, because... <laughs> but people who need more and more are called greedy in the Bible. And we can be greedy for a whole lot of things. Maybe it's money, or popularity, or sports trophies, or food, or more toys, or whatever. Food is a tough one. Once we get greedy about having more of it than anyone else, or more than we actually need. Food's a tough one for me, actually. And the king of Sodom knows that people are greedy. And he's going to try and use that to get what he wants. He wants power. But Abram knows this, and he's prepared himself beforehand. You see, Abram's already protected himself from temptation by swearing an oath, which is an absolute promise 
to God not to take even a tiny thread of anything that came from Sodom and the people there and especially from their king. After all, he didn't go and do this so he could get rich. Abram went because his nephew needed to be rescued and not for the last time either because that's what family did in those days. This was about honor and not about loot. But he was only one of the men who went on the rescue mission. Honor, Eskol, and Mamre had a say in the matter, too. I am betting they took the stuff because they had a right to it, according to the laws of the ancient Near East. So Melchizedek got a tenth of Abram's share, and the three brothers would probably have taken most all the rest. We don't know actually what happened to the people or to the things or to the kings. The Bible never says, but we do know that about 15 years later, the city of Sodom was way worse than it ever been before. The people of Sodom were terrible bullies. All the men of the city is what the Bible says, and they were incredibly cruel to visitors. But Abram was telling the king of Sodom that God was his only patron, and that was a big deal in the ancient world. That's actually the main part of what I'm going to teach today. So what does a society do when there are no banks? That's tough because it means that most people can't get a loan for what they need. Whether that was to buy seeds or a plow or oxen to pull the plow or anything. We have it so much easier now because people can actually buy what they need. But when Abram lived, there was nothing like that. If a poor farmer needed these things, he would go to a rich person and would ask for something called benefaction. And it was true in Jesus' time as well. It was the normal way of getting things that were expensive and difficult or impossible to find. It went something like this. A person who needed something would show up in the courtyard of someone with a lot of money. Oh, great master or mistress, because a lot of rich women gave people money to do things too. Look upon your humble servant with graciousness and pity. You are too excellent not to be aware that my family lost everything in the fires last year. And so now we find ourselves in need of seed for planting and a yoked pair of oxen. Most excellent master, if you will look upon our situation with kindness and provide what we need, your bakers will never lack for the very best of our grain and your steward will never lack fresh vegetables and herbs for your table. And we will tell everyone near and far of your greatness and mercy and generosity for the rest of our lives, and we and our children will always be loyal to your family. And so the rich man or woman would provide the family with what they needed to start their farm again, and the family would immediately begin by telling all their friends and neighbors how amazing these people were. And not only that, but they would show up bright and early on various mornings at the rich people's home to see if they needed anything done. Perhaps the son or daughter would come by and offer their services, running errands or delivering messages or doing this or that job around the home or on their property. This was all their way of showing their gratitude which is their thankfulness to the family. And because that family gave back to the rich people in this way, because they could never afford to pay them back any other way, when they would ask again for something else, 
the rich people would give them what they need. And as long as this poor family, who are called clients, kept being grateful for what they were getting, they would keep receiving whatever it was that they needed. And the reason for this is actually really interesting. You see, money wasn't nearly as important in the ancient world as a person's reputation or status or honor. And when I say honor, I'm not talking about how we would call someone honorable for being honest or for rescuing puppies from a fire or whatever. They didn't care about that sort of thing, and they considered both of those to be stupid most of the time. This was the world that Abram was born into and why he didn't really mind lying to the pharaoh of Egypt about Sarai just being his sister and not his wife. They figured it was just smart to lie to anyone and everyone unless they were actually family. When one of the Ten Commandments told them that lying was a bad thing, that would have been a surprise to them. What they considered honorable was totally different from how we look at it. To them, the people with honor were like the popular kids in school. And everyone who has ever been around other kids knows that popularity has nothing to do with whether you're a good person or not. Popular people are just popular. And the reasons why aren't always clear. But in the ancient world, you knew exactly why someone was popular. And some of the reasons are the same then and now. First of all, you had a lot of honor if your family was important in some way. If they were politicians or related to the king or a famous general or something like that. Second, you had a lot of honor if you accomplished something amazing like if someone was a great war hero or a great artist or a famous poet. Third, you had a lot of honor if someone important gave you an important job. You could be born into a family that already had a high honor status, or you could earn honor through the things you did. And these rich people who gave away money and supplies were doing it not because they were kind and generous, but because that's how they kept their honor or their good reputation in the community. They were buying their popularity, and they had to because they were competing with other rich families to be on the top of the honor heap. If they stopped giving people things, then people would stop talking about how great they were and no one would hang around their courtyard in the morning looking for favors and the family would develop shame. Not shame like being embarrassed for having done something really terrible like killing someone. Because in the ancient world, you could kill someone and still have a lot of honor in your community. Which is, like, totally messed up, right? But they experienced shame because the whole world was like a ladder. And honor meant that you were on the top of the ladder, and shame meant that you were down on the bottom. I'm afraid of heights, so I actually like being at the bottom of the ladder, but that's, that's a story for another day. And they did a lot of things to get more honor that were pretty awful, but we can talk about that some other time. The people who gave the money and supplies were called benefactors or patrons. And the people who got the stuff and were expected to make their benefactors look good were called clients. They needed each other. And so even though it could be upside down and really truly messed up, it worked out for a lot of people. 
In a world without banks and loans or rich relatives, this is how people survived. But if the people weren't grateful and didn't do things to help their benefactors, then the whole thing just fell apart. And before we talk about Abram and the king of Sodom, let's look at what Jesus had to say about it. When Jesus sent out his disciples in teams of two to go and preach and work miracles throughout the region of Galilee, he told them, Freely you have received, since so freely give. But what does that even mean? Well, Jesus was telling them that he was their benefactor or patron and they were his clients. He gave them everything they needed to go out and preach. He gave them the message to preach and he gave them the power they needed to do amazing things like heal sick people, raise dead people so they'd be alive again, cure leprosy, and chuck demons out of people. And he'd given it to them for free. But in return, they needed to do two things. One, they needed to be grateful and tell everyone about Jesus's message and to make everyone honor him. Two, they needed to do for others what Jesus had done for them. In return, people would have given them a place to stay while they were in town and they would have fed them. Because they understood what was happening they wouldn't just take and take and take and give nothing back. Jesus is telling them not to demand money, just like they hadn't paid him, but that people would take care of their needs in return for what they were doing. Otherwise, Jesus would have just called a bunch of rich people who could afford to be his disciples. We honor Jesus by being generous with the people he sends to help us. But Jesus told his disciples to be very careful and not to favor the rich people over the poor people because that was like the opposite of the kingdom of heaven. In this world, we're always going to be judged for how much money we have, how we look, what our jobs are, if we're good at sports, and that kind of stuff. But in God's kingdom, we're judged based on what we've done. Someone who spends their life translating Bibles into new languages or cares for orphans or refugees, they're the ones who have high honor in God's kingdom, where money and how we look and if we're good at sports just mean absolutely nothing. God isn't impressed with those things. He wants to show the world what he is like, and that's a job everyone can be equally good at. And the king of Sodom, well, Abram was a rich man and his friends were rich men and seemed like mighty warriors at this point. So little sticky britches wants to act like he's Abram's benefactor and patron and that what Abram has is all because of the generosity and greatness of the king of Sodom. That's what it meant when Abram said he didn't want the king of Sodom to be able to say that he made Abram a rich man. Doing that would give a whole lot of honor to the king of Sodom, and he just didn't deserve to have any of it. The person who gives was seen as better and more honored than the person who received the gift. And so the king of Sodom would have been able to say that he was greater than Abram even though Abram was the one to win the battle and rescue the people and their stuff. 
The king of Sodom should have just been on his knees thanking Abram and treating Abram as his benefactor and patron because Abram did something for the king of Sodom that he couldn't do for himself. In fact, he and the other four kings had failed miserably. I tell you, that rude dude had a lot of nerve trying to pretend like he was doing Abram a favor. Abram told little Sticky Britches that his benefactor and patron was God and only God and that he would never accept even the smallest string or stinky sandal strap. Abram was telling the king of Sodom that his stuff wasn't even remotely worth having. What Abram said to the king of Sodom was very insulting, and Abram really shamed him. Abram didn't recognize him as a mighty king, and he didn't recognize him as being much of anything. Abram was saying, you aren't better than me or my friends. And that would have made the king furious, and especially if people saw it happen. A king could only stay a king if everyone agreed that he had the highest honor status in the city. If he was the most famous and most powerful and richest. But without the people, he had no power. He was just a regular guy. Without stuff, he wasn't rich either. He was just a regular guy. And Abram wasn't going to let him be famous. You know, bragging about how he gave Abram everything. Since the guy who rescued everyone is disrespecting their king, he might not be a king for much longer. That's how it all worked in the ancient world and still does in some places to this day. What happened to that king amounts to one huge kick in the backside. And we will never hear of the evil king of Sodom again. And that's the very end of this Genesis chapter 14. And chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. But before we get to that, I want you to notice something. Remember what God told Abram at the beginning of chapter 12? Let's take a look. The Lord said to Abram, Go from where you're living, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless everyone who treats you well, and I will curse anyone who treats you badly. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Why is this important now? Because finally, when Abram doesn't have anything to do with Lot after rescuing him, he's finally totally obeyed God. He left his home. Check. He left behind his relatives. Check, check. He left behind his father's house. Check, check, check. And he went to the land of Canaan. I don't want to say check anymore. <laughs> Finally, Abram is totally cut off from everything and everyone he left behind. And it's just him and his own household and God now. How will God respond? What will God do? In chapter 15, things are going to get really exciting. And you're going to see and learn things that we haven't seen or learned up to this point. We will even see the beginnings of God's plan to give us Jesus as our Savior. But as we've seen, Abram had to learn to trust God, and he had to learn how to begin to obey him. 
Abram won't always get it right, and in some chapters, he's a total mess. But God's plans don't rely on Abram being a perfect person, or on you and me being perfect either, which is totally a good thing because I would totally have messed everything up already. God's plans depend on God. God's plans depend on God being perfect. And we can all be very relieved about that. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I want you to remember the big lesson from chapter 14. That even when God doesn't get mentioned and doesn't seem to be a big part of the story, he's always there, always paying attention, and always working behind the scenes in big and small ways to work things out.